Greetings, greetings once again to all my enemies and all my friends. It is the Weekly Worldview, and I'm your host, Doug McBurney. Welcome back. It's the show where we don't take calls, we don't tolerate sponsors, but we do help you focus on the events of the week through the lens of original thought. It's good to be back with everyone after a week off, although it wasn't really a week off. It was a week on the road. I was away officiating my father's funeral. So I know he passed away in January. But we waited until May for the funeral because, well, there's a couple reasons. Number one, he didn't want a funeral. So I had to, uh, I had to make the case to the family. But secondly, it's because it's just outside of Buffalo, New York. And going to Buffalo January through May can be somewhat precarious. And so, uh, anyway, I wanted my father to have a funeral because it would be an opportunity to preach the gospel. And so I did that, and I, gave, I just gave a little 15-minute talk. I may post it here as a video, although I'm not a big fan of the video word. I'm a bigger fan of the spoken word. Maybe I'll—anyway, I'll post it up here, I think, at some point in the not-too-distant future so that you can see. Yes, I was just outside of Buffalo, New York. I was in a Topps less than a week ago buying groceries, a Topps grocery store. So we should start there. I know. I know. I want to I'll get to Roe versus Wade and the Supreme Court and all of that. But let's start with things that are more pressing from the widespread panic file. The security guard. The security guard who attempted to stop the murderer at the Topps Grocery on Jefferson Avenue in Buffalo has been identified as Aaron Salter. He attempted to stop the murderer by shooting him. But the murderer was wearing body armor. He was unharmed. He returned fire, killing Aaron Salter, a former Buffalo police officer, became an an armed security guard at a grocery store in Buffalo, which uh, I was born in Buffalo. I lived in Buffalo for a short time. I've been to Buffalo plenty. And I remember growing up in Buffalo that there were not armed security guards at the grocery store. In fact, I remember growing up, well, anywhere in America, and there were not armed security guards in the grocery store. Now there are. That should be a sign right there. I remember the first time I traveled to uh, Guatemala, I was shocked that there were men with shotguns at the grocery store. That was shocking to me. Now there are armed men in the grocery stores. Why? Because Americans fear for their lives on a daily basis. They fear their lives being taken from them at any moment, even at the grocery store. Why do they fear that? Because it's happening. Ten people killed, three wounded at a grocery store in Buffalo. And and it is kind of sickening how quickly... Online, if you watch the news, as I do, it's, it's, it's sickening how quickly the Let's Go Brandon crowd lines up against the Marxist left to assign blame for this kid, this killer. You've got the, the vulgar, godless Let's Go Brandons against the Marxist left debating whose kid this is. In fact, I'll post up this article. There's a headline, Buffalo Mass Shooter's Alleged Manifesto Leaves No Doubt the Attack Was White Supremacist Terrorism. And so I would, I, I'll post this up because you should read this. But doesn't the headline itself suggest there must be some doubt? After all, they say it's alleged, it's his alleged manifesto. So we don't know if this is even his manifesto, But the headline writer says the manifesto leaves no doubt. Well, I would posit there is some doubt. The fact that your headline says the manifesto is allegedly the shooters, that leaves some doubt with me anyways. And and doesn't the manifesto itself leave some doubt as to how any one side, whether you're on the Let's Go Brandon side, 
cursing at the other side, or if you're on the Marxist left side, cursing at the other side. If you actually read what this sicko kid wrote, it's kind of hard to say how anyone can claim that this is their baby or blame this baby on the other side. Yeah, I'm using the term baby because we're going to talk later about Roe versus Wade. Um, I, I guess I'll go to kids since the kid was 18. Anyway, I, I would say that this kid who murdered 10 people at a grocery store in Buffalo is a fairly typical example of an 18-year-old American boy circa 2022. He's got a godless worldview, uh, marijuana, divorced parents, and a public school education. Now, I don't know any of these actually. These are predictions, I suppose. I will admit right now that there is some doubt about what I just said. There's some doubt. But I'm going to predict atheists, marijuana smoker, divorced parents, public school graduate. Or public school educated. That, those are my predictions, which makes him utterly average. Makes him extraordinarily typical. He has problems, and one of the perceived solutions to those problems involves killing innocent people. Yeah. And probably just by sheer chance of where the roulette wheel like spin of the synapses in his. THC-laden brain landed on on that particular morning. He chose the option that involved killing innocent people. That's just by chance. Could have gone the other way. Could have just played Grand Theft Auto all day and smoked dope, maybe. But he went the other way. It's just not that big a deal to him. Nothing is that big a deal to him. No one is that big a deal. Not even him. He's not even that big a deal. Ask his high school science teacher about it. And so that's Buffalo. My hometown. Um, Meanwhile, let's go to the justice file. We're down in Tennessee, the governor there, who I will not name. I really don't like this, that that uh, media outlets have to report the governor by name when he makes an official decision. On behalf of the state, it didn't used to be this way because it used to be that being a politician did not make you a celebrity. But now there's celebrity involved and celebrity is going to be the death of us. Part of it. It's going to be one of the thousand cuts. Anyway, the governor in Tennessee has paused all executions. All executions for the rest of the year. Why? To enable a review of the lethal injection procedures. After a testing oversight forced the state to call off the execution of one Oscar Smith. That's right. The chemicals that were going to be used to put Oscar Smith to death were supposed to be tested for potency, sterility, and endotoxins, but they were apparently only tested for post for potency and sterility, although we don't really know that because the testing process is a secret. But since we can't be sure... Since we can't be sure if the chemicals about to be used to to execute this man were tested properly for endotoxins, not just tested, were they tested properly? We just don't know for sure. And so the, the governor chooses to halt all executions, this execution in particular. And the governor released a statement saying, I believe death is an appropriate punishment for heinous crimes. However... Which right there, he's disqualified himself from being the governor of any state with the term however. Um, The governor has not explained the exact, uh, unquote, by the way, we're going to move on from the governor. The governor has not explained exactly why the execution was delayed. He just issued that brief statement. But apparently what happened, according to NTD.com, a news outlet in Tennessee, The night before the execution, lawyers requested results of tests for potency, sterility, and endotoxins that, according to procedures, are supposed to be carried out on the execution drugs if they are from a compounding pharmacy, if they're compounded rather than commercially manufactured. We have special rules, but there's secrecy surrounding the rules. 
And so that that secrecy that secrecy makes that makes it very difficult to know for certain if the if the tests were carried out exactly. So we don't even know if the drugs in fact were compounded. We don't know because of privacy rules. And so what we do know is who Oscar Smith is and what he did. We do know that. Now, as far as I can tell in this article, and it's possible I just didn't copy it. It's possible. There is no allusion to the crime that Oscar Smith committed. Why is this guy being executed? Should I feel sorry for this guy? Maybe he's being executed for driving while black. Is that possible? Maybe I should feel sorry. For, maybe he's a victim of institutional structural racism, and this is an intersectional moment that we could all learn from. Who is this guy? I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to who Oscar Smith is and what he did. But as to the question of halting all executions because you're not sure if the drugs were from a certain place or tested a certain way, there's some, there's some ambiguity or there's some doubt. There's a shadow of a doubt, and that causes the grinding to a halt of the wheels of justice on behalf of the governor of Tennessee, or, or I, I should say by the governor of Tennessee. So the governor of Tennessee, just like the 18-year-old in Buffalo, is perfectly emblematic and absolutely typical of, of young men in America today. The governor of Tennessee is emblematic and extraordinarily typical of today's political rulers in America, the ruling class. When the rulers lack the moral certitude of a godly worldview... They are easily manipulated by the wicked to pervert justice. And you see, the governor in Tennessee is very unsure of his own grasp on reality. He's not really sure he's right about anything. And that's because he's not right with God. Or he doesn't fear God. It would be good if the politicians just fear God. If they were just afraid that if they did wrong by God, there might be consequences for them. That would be something. But the governor of Tennessee and his entire generation and the generation after that and after that and after that have grown up utterly disconnected from any idea of godliness. And so they lack the moral certitude to be confident that Oscar Smith should be executed. We're just not sure. Why? Because we're not sure of ourselves. Why? Because we're not sure there's a God, and if there isn't a God, then we're basically standing on something that could collapse at any moment. And so we lack the moral certitude to do right. And that's the governor of Tennessee. Who is Oscar Smith? In 1989, Oscar Smith murdered his wife and her two teenage sons by shooting and stabbing them to death. He was convicted and has been on death row since 1990, longer than many of the people in this audience have been alive. Oscar Smith has been on death row. And when the day came, just a few weeks ago, when it was time to finally administer justice, America flinched. America flinched in the face of the utter evil of Oscar Smith because, well, it's, it's the big flinch has already happened. The big flinch has already occurred, and there shall be no coming back from that, at least not to what, they, what we were. Okay, so, by the way, so quickly on the, uh, I want to talk about the baby food crisis, the, uh, the baby formula crisis, since that's all the rage. Although I'm sure we'll move on to something else this coming week. It's been all the rage for the past week. I find it ironic that just as America is forced to consider the morality of killing babies, circumstances cause us to struggle with the how to feed them. Isn't that ironic? I find that ironic, that's all. And then I have another prediction. One more prediction, okay? Now there is some doubt about this, but very little in my mind. I predict that history will reveal that it was, in fact, 
a Supreme Court justice herself that leaked the draft ruling on Roe versus Wade. And history will reveal that that Supreme Court justice leaked the draft ruling because she was convinced that history would be on her side. I'm your host, Doug McBurney. Welcome back. Thank you for uh, joining the broadcast today. Uh, So we'll get to, well, before I get to Roe v. Wade, which the opinion, the leak of the draft opinion is a shock. The draft opinion itself is a shock. I mean, as far as I know, a leak at the Supreme Court of this magnitude has never happened before. As far as I know, as far as I know, the overturning of a Supreme Court decision has never happened before. I don't think that's ever happened before. I believe Supreme Court decisions have rendered previous decisions inoperable, but I don't believe a decision has ever been actually vacated or overturned or struck down as far as I know. These things have never happened before. But we're living in times when things that never happened before keep happening on a regular basis. You know, like mass shootings at the grocery store. Things like that. And uh, anyway, it all doesn't bode well for the for the longevity of our current form of government. I'll just leave it at that. It really doesn't. But I, I will say that, uh, well, let me get back to Roe v. Wade because there's other things. It's from the Like a Suicide file. Out in Pennsylvania, a mother, a mother shot her two sons in the head on the morning of March, I'm sorry, on the morning of April 30th. A mother shoots her two sons in the head, goes outside and tries to shoot her neighbor to death, and then tries to commit suicide. This is in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Trin Wen, 38 years old, shoots her two children uh, to who died later. Police found the boys in bed with gunshot wounds to the head. Um, the, The mother survived. The neighbor survived because the gun didn't fire. The mother is... Being held on two counts of homicide, one count of attempted murder. Uh, The mother had filed for divorce in 2015. And this this is the whole story is involved with uh, marital and personal and familial relationships that, uh, well, since time immemorial have been the fountainhead of murder. Sexual immorality, adultery, fighting over the custody of children, money. All of that is in this story. I'll link it up. This is happening every day. Something like this happens every day, and it's happening all the time. And things like this never happened before. Or they were so rare as to, this would have shocked the nation when I lived in Buffalo, New York. This would have shocked the nation. The whole country would have stopped and been in shock. And you never heard about this story until I just read it because this happens all the time. Who can keep track? 
Who could possibly keep up with the number of murder-suicides it's on any given day in America, circa 2022. Meanwhile, from the Bad Religion File, there was a survey of pastors, Christian pastors, done by the Barna Group. They do it every couple of years. This particular survey of pastors was conducted in January, from January of last year until March of this year. And basically, it, 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 it many, many, many pastors say that they are considering quitting. And they cite a number of factors. Let's see here. Do I have a 29%? Let's see here. In 2021, 29%, about 30% of pastors said they were considering quitting. Now it's closer to half. So in just the course of a year, from about a third to about a half of the pastors in the pulpit right now, Naming the name of Christ, say they're considering quitting, citing, uh, let's see, what do they cite? They've got all kinds of props. So political divisions, mm-hmm. stress, loneliness. Pastors? Pastors, yeah, yeah. Lonely? Lonely. They're lonely. Yeah. This, this doesn't necessarily have to be perceived as bad news since... About 99.5 of all pastors should resign. (laughs) Yeah, and not because they're lonely or because of policy. They should just do it based on the realization that they're not qualified to be doing what they're doing. And so if we could get half of them cleared out, that, that could be a very positive thing. Although I'm very sad that they're lonely and stressed out. Yeah, they're stressed out. So it's as if Americans circa 2022 simply are no longer capable of dealing with normal life like an adult. And instead, they're like uh, uh, adolescent girls stressing out. It's freaking me out. I'm having a hard time. I'm lonely. All right. Now, I know that stress and loneliness are real, and I don't want to belittle those, but, uh, I mean, just get over yourself, okay? Um, anyway, uh, so should I get back to Roe yet? No, let's not get to Roe yet, because I'm, I'm leading up to that. I'm leading up to why it is, how it is, what has happened to America, that we find ourselves in a, in a place where the government is considering making killing people illegal again. That's, how did we get here? And not just how did we get here, but how did getting there 50 years ago get us here, where we are right now? Listen to where we are right now. From the death to Gascon file. I said the death to Gascon file. Uh, From uh, Breitbart, convicted transgender child molester James Tubbs uh, pled guilty to choking and assaulting a 10-year-old girl in a bathroom in 2014 in a crime that shocked even Los Angeles at the time. District Attorney George Gascon declined to prosecute the child molester, the child rapist, as an adult because the crime took place just before the rapist's 18th birthday. Because of that, a number of things happened with this child rapist, including the fact that, he's, that he got out of jail. Now, that same child rapist has been charged with murder. So the child rapist whose liberty was facilitated by George Gascon and the entire justice system in Los Angeles, but primarily George Gascon and his policies. That same child rapist has now murdered someone. And he's um, in Kern County. He went to another county and now has murdered someone. Allegedly. Um, so, this is... Uh, 
This is from the Death to Gascon file. And, and please don't understand the name of the Death to Gascon file. This is not a death threat or a wish for death. Well, I shouldn't say it's not a wish for death. Let me rephrase that. This is not a death threat against George Gascon. This is just a shorthand name for the file. Because the actual name of this file in the Weekly Worldview's sophisticated filing system is, quote, another death attributable to Los Angeles District Attorney George Gascon file, unquote. That's the name of the file, another death attributable to Los Angeles District Attorney George Gascon. Short, we just say the death to Gascon file for short. That's just to be clear. Uh, death to George Gasco. Uh, death to tyrants. Um, so should we get to row now? Uh, I want to say that I do agree with my good friend Dominic Enyard, whose show I got to listen to this past week, uh, that this is all quite shocking. I would agree with that. And I would also agree with young Mr. Enyard that whatever happens... It'll certainly be better than what's been happening around the issue of killing innocent people. Uh, civil unrest, social tension, whatever kind of fight might erupt around the overturning of Roe, or even the leaking of the possible overturning. Whatever happens is better than what's been happening. If there's a fight that's going to happen, that would be better than not having that fight. Right? An opportunity... For a fight um, is better than not fighting when we're talking about the legalized murder of innocent people. It's better to have a fight about that, even if it turns really ugly. Even if it threatens to unmoor a civilization from peace and prosperity, even if, they, yeah, it's better. Anyway, it'll make for uh, more of an opportunity for our side, which, by the way, I'm not on the let's go Brandon side. I'm not on that side. And I'm not on the George Soros Marxist left side either. I'm, I'm not on either one of those sides. I'm on our side. I'm on God's side, I hope. And this will give our side the opportunity to force people's attention on the fact that there is a God. And that for some reason, abortion makes you uncomfortable. It even makes Bill Maher uncomfortable. He actually admitted it on the air this past week that abortion makes him say, you know, he's not a big fan. I'm sure the ones that he has participated in bother him from time to time. And I know because he actually said that this past week. Uh, Bill, Bill Maher, you know, the comedian who's now a conservative. Uh, because he's not a froth-at-the-mouth Marxist leftist intent on toppling America right now into the abyss of a thousand years of Marxist darkness. Now he's considered some sort of conservative. And I, I suppose, since pro-life now means that you're against killing some babies, you know, like, not right up until 40 weeks, not like right up until birth, well, since that's now pro-life, Maybe uh, just maybe just uh, being bothered by abortion will qualify you as pro-life. Maybe maybe the Bill Maher position will be the new pro-life standard. Look, if you're annoyed sometimes by the abortions you've taken part in, you can call yourself pro-life. And we'll count you when we do surveys, we'll count you as pro-life. As a million or two innocent people are murdered every year legally, primarily, by the way, with a pill anymore. Primarily with a pill. All right, so I've got an article from Breitbart, uh, from John Nolte, uh, from the personhood file. John Nolte at Breitbart says, Honestly, what's the big deal about overturning Roe anyway? The title, the headline is, Suppose Roe v. Wade was overturned and nobody cared. And John Nolte says, what's the big deal? Abortion will not be outlawed. And then he goes on with the traditional Republican line trying to say, look, this isn't extreme. We're not trying to say abortion is illegal all of a sudden. No way. We're just returning it to the states where it belongs. 
And so, you know, what is the big deal, America? What is the big deal? If Roe, by the way, overturning Roe is a misnomer. Because if Roe established legal abortion, wouldn't overturning it criminalize abortion? What, what, well, well, how is it that we can overturn Roe and abortion is still legal? It's because Roe was really just a fig leaf, a legal, a legal fig leaf to cover for the will of the people. By the time Roe came along, which was when I lived in Buffalo... A significant plurality of Americans wanted the ability to kill inconvenient, embarrassing, unloved children. That was when I lived in Buffalo, when Roe v. Wade was decided. There was this plurality. Now it is a significant majority. And now even most pro-lifers, quote-unquote, are okay with Denying the right to life to some innocent kids. If it means we could just stop talking about it. And you could just leave me alone in peace. That's right. It's the Weekly Worldview. Welcome back, folks. I want to get right to it here. We got to go. So the overturning of Roe does not overturn the legalized murder of innocent people, just revealing what a big farce that all was. And now we go to the Just Desserts file where the May Day leak has has resulted in protests around the country at. At Supreme Court Justice's house. Uh, at their houses, I should say, or at least one. Anyway, I, yeah, I'm going to call it the May Day leak. I know that it was officially leaked on May 2nd, but it was hatched in the dark on May Day, which is a communist holiday. So the Supreme Court leak of the draft Roe v. Wade decision is hereby declared the May Day leak here on the Weekly Worldview and uh, the... The uh, appropriate nature of that name will make itself uh, 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 obvious as time goes forward, backward, wherever time goes, as time passes. Okay? The May Day leak. May Day in more than one sense. We've got the communist holiday, and then that's also what you cry out when you're in trouble and your ship is sinking. Anyway, just think about it. Okay, so the May Day leak means that leftists began protesting all over the place, even at the house of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. And one reporter who was on the scene, Douglas Blair, a news editor for the Daily Signal, said that the protests outside Brett Kavanaugh's home were, quote, one of the scariest things, unquote, he's ever seen. Scariest things he's ever seen. I believe it, too. I've been in a crowd of pro-abortion maniacs, which is basically post-abortive lesbian atheists. And it is scary. It's as if they could claw you apart with their fingernails and rip the flesh off your, off your bones with their teeth. That's how scary it is to be in a crowd of post-abortive leftist maniacal women. Uh, and the men uh, who prostrate themselves before the, the aforementioned maniacal post-abortive insane maniac murderous okay uh justice samuel alito and his family according to the article here were moved to a secure location and of course the let's go brandon crowd is outraged that justices could be subject to fear that's illegal by the way there's statutes against that you're not allowed to protest haven't you read the statutes That's right, that's right. Uh, in fact, the article here, there's a federal statute that bars protests aimed at intimidating judges. Hmm. But surprisingly, in America, circa 2022, when people are mowed down at the grocery store in Buffalo, 
And since murder is legal in some cases, people no longer take statutes and rules very seriously. People go to Brett Kavanaugh's house and protest because they don't care about the rules. Once you legalize murder, it's kind of hard to convince people to follow the other rules. And also, by the way, for all of you in the Let's Go Brandon crowd, it's inevitable that all of the governing officials who have administered the greatest mass murder in all of human history will not eventually find themselves fearing for their lives. And by the way, that goes for you too. Once you've participated in a mass murder of this scale, it's inevitable that eventually all of you will fear for your lives. And the sad thing for me is that you're going to drag me and my family into it too, even though we stood up and said no. But you're all going to fear for your lives. We all are going to fear for our lives. And probably in the long arc of history, when we look back and we realize what we could have done, what we should have done, and what we actually did, we'll all agree that we probably deserved it. As ugly and bad as it all became. We go now to the Washington Post. From the personhood file, we have an opinion piece from Rebecca, who's a professor. She's a professor of women's history and uh, the history of medicine at Cal State. So, so for someone to be a professor of the history of medicine, that is legitimate. But to be a professor of women's history, you have to say that as if it were a question, number one, because it's not real. Because <laughs> there's no such thing as women's history, there's just history. Now, you can break history into the specified study of the Renaissance or the history of medicine, but you can't break it up by sex. That's not, that's not real. Anyway, uh, Professor Rebecca from Cal State says, if fetal president is recognized, pres pregnant women and other pregnant people will lose control. <laughs> over, she goes on and on about what they'll lose control over. So pregnant women and other pregnant people. That's interesting. <laughs> She's a professor <clears throat> of women's history. <laughs> Um, she goes on in the opinion piece at the Washington Post. Claims of fetal personhood. The notion that the fetus has rights akin to a child already born originated in the mid-19th century when Boston physician Horatio Storer led the first movement to criminalize abortion. So here's a history professor, unquote, I'm sorry. Uh, here's a history professor implying... She's writing, uh, she's writing out a statement for the Washington Post, writing as if abortion was legal for all times before the dark age of Victorian modesty and shame that was forced upon us in the mid-19th century when they made abortion illegal. <laughs> so, so she says it all originated in the mid-19th century. This idea that an unborn child was a person originated in the dark Victorian age of the... And in the mind of this one particular, no doubt, white male... What doesn't she say? Oh, yeah. White male and Catholic. Uh-huh. So this professor, she says, he referred to fetuses as children. And he cast abortion as murder for the first time ever. Nobody ever thought of that before. This white male Catholic guy. And then, in the early 1960s, white male Catholics explicitly connected this claim of personhood to the Declaration of Independence. Oh, nobody had ever done that before. That was weird. How was he allowed to get away with that? Just because the Declaration of Independence talks about the right to life. What is that? Anyway, so here is in the Washington Post... Allegedly, one of the newspapers of record, but now it seems just a, a propaganda organ of Jeff Bezos and the other Marxist, leftist, maniacal, antichrist. I, I don't even know where. I have a plethora of other adjectives that I could apply, but uh, we've, we're, we're, we only have so much time. 
So we have a history professor from Cal State purposely distorting history. Why does she do this? To cover for the guilt and shame of her own abortion. That's the number one reason she wrote this article. That's the number one, was her own abortion. And then there's her profligate, decadent lifestyle that has produced little more than a stain of consumer waste on the planet for which she's also very guilt-ridden and feels a shame. And that's, that's it. And that passes for a legitimate opinion piece from an allegedly legitimate professor of some sort of history at Cal State. We now move to the criminally insane file where the governor of Texas has ordered multiple agencies. Well, he had, an, he had ordered agencies to investigate reports of transgender ch- treatment of children. He wanted those investigated as abuse, which, you know, st- thank you. Right? You're going to transition a, a little boy into a little girl. That's ch- called child abuse. It's criminal insane child abuse. And the DA of Texas, the governor of Texas, ordered that it be investigated. Well, those investigations were halted, of course, because of a lawsuit. And there's a new court ruling now that's going to allow the investigate investigations to continue. So there's a fight in Texas over whether or not adults can abuse children in a uh, sexually deviant, criminally insane way. And that's a very sad place to be, ladies and gentlemen. The fact that this is up for debate. And listen to this. The attorney general down there in Texas, uh, he announced that he's going to investigate these uh, pharmaceutical companies that are using these off-label drugs to transition children. Well, let me get to that because first, I want to call out the governor of Texas because normally when the governor and the, and the law enforcement officials are investigating a crime, what happens is what they do is they kick in the doors and they capture evidence uh, by surprise. And they stop what's happening from happening because they think there's a crime. That's what normally happens. If the, if the authorities think that there's a conspiracy to commit some criminal activity, what they'll do is they'll monitor it. And then when they get to the right point, they'll swoop in, kick in the doors, lock everything down, capture all the computers, all the documents, right? But that's not what happened here. No doors were kicked in. No doctor's offices where these drugs are being issued and where children are being uh, insanely violated with, with some of the most atrocious abuse in the history of mankind. The, the governor and the attorney general and the, the Texas Rangers and everybody else who could have done it, they didn't kick down anyone's door. They didn't surprise anyone. They didn't, none of that. Which belies their sincerity around the idea that this is actually a crime. So the governor of Texas and the attorney general are willing to mouth the words that this is a crime, but they're not willing to do the actions that are associated with the other things that they pursue as a crime. Why? Because of the lack of moral certitude that I referred to earlier. In fact, the the attorney general there says he's going to investigate these pharmaceutical companies that are promoting these drugs to be used off-label to basically chemically sexually abuse children. And he states, the AG does in Texas, the manufacture, sale, prescription, and use of puberty blockers are on young teens and minors is dangerous and reckless. The attorney general goes on to say that these drugs have detrimental and even irreversible side effects, and I will not allow pharmaceutical companies to take advantage of Texas children, yet he allows it. Not one arrest, not one office is raided or closed. These drugs are not confiscated by the authorities like they would be if if they were sincere in their assertion that they were pursuing and trying to prevent a crime. And by the way, folks, violations of FDA rulings can be met with the force of the criminal justice system. And by the way, local officials can interpret FDA guidance and rulings and pursue people for criminal actions based on their interpretation. It's been done in the past. But 
even in Texas, the, the big fat red buckle of the Bible belt, the rulers lacked the moral certitude to pursue the criminally insane as if they're actually the criminals that they are. It's the Weekly Worldview, and I'm your host, Doug McBurney. Thank you for sticking with us as we document for all of you what's going on and what we might do about it. So Roe versus Wade may as well be river-crossing options because it was never the law. It was never constitutional. It was the expression of the will of some plurality of the population at the time that it was handed down in the early 1970s. That's all. And, and, and certainly it was the expression of the will of the seven men on the Supreme Court. For whatever reason, God knows. And I'll bet you when we find out the motivations of those seven men, I think we'll be surprised to find out just how personal they were. I will bet you that this decision that went on to influence the lives of hundreds of millions of people was a decision involving uh, a much more personal interest than uh, constitutional scholarship. I think that's what we'll find. And so how did a decision that established no law initially end up being enforced more vigorously than any law on the books? How is it that today, in some cases, that a man can go to prison for a longer period of time for repeatedly blocking the entrance to an abortion mill than for killing someone, than for murder. How is that? It's because within a short period of time, our rulers, starting with the seven men on the Supreme Court, had actually participated in it. They had actually taken part in it. They had either killed one of their own children or they had helped a family member or a friend kill one of their children. They had done it in a relatively short period of time. And then, uh, and so they had skin in the game now, so to speak. They had done it. And just like God can convert the soul toward the light, so... Sin converts the soul into darkness. And so enforcement of this idea that we have this right to kill innocent children, enforcement became like a religious calling for those who participated. And then after the seven on the Supreme Court and the others early on, then in a short, then in short order, the rest of the people participated. You know, maybe it was just a small percentage that first year when I lived in Buffalo, back before people got mowed down at the grocery store, back before we had armed guards in the grocery store, and professors acting as if abortion had always been legal until someone forced us to stop in the 60s. Before all that, maybe it was just a small percentage but then, more the next year, and more the next year, and more the next year, until by the late 1980s, this new religion was, was at a tipping point. It was on the way to becoming the dominant religion in the land, this religion of death. It was on the way to supplanting the Christianity upon which the nation had been built, and so there was a reaction in the church. The church responded with the rescue movement which most of the people in this audience under the age of, of 40 have never even heard of because it's been erased from history. The rescue movement was where Christians chained themselves to abortion clinics and volunteered to be arrested, beaten, even killed 
in order to stop the abortionists from getting into the clinic and killing the babies that day. That's what happened in America circa 1988 through about 1990, 91. But that movement, the rescue movement, was defeated in relatively short order, mostly by their own promiscuity and spiritual adulteries and their greed and their fear of losing their freedom and their fear of even being made uncomfortable. And, that, and they were defeated. And by the way, this was told to me by one of the leaders who was there. When the rescue movement was defeated, he was there on that night, and this is what he told me. That we were defeated because of our own promiscuity, adultery, and fear. And so our parents and our grandparents were only awakened to the sound of battle after the citadel had been taken. And our generation, my generation and the generation after, we were born already in the camp of the enemy. (laughs) But a remnant have gone back to the right side. Just a remnant now. And our children must understand that they're already behind enemy lines. Teach them that. Teach them that by making them separate from the the culture. Get them out of the culture that left their parents and their ancestors virtually defenseless against the wiles of the evil one. And of course, by that I mean get them out of the schools. Get them out of the church buildings. Get them out of the institutions that are in the hands of the enemy. Get them out. Get them out. They have all turned aside. They have all become corrupt. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, if there are any who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Uh, so from there, well, this, this is... This is appropriate. From the big bad ego file, from the culture file. Toddlers and Tiara's star, Kylie Posey, 16-year-old, accomplished teenager with a bright future, killed herself earlier this month. For a similar reason that the kid in, in upstate New York woke up and decided to drive down to Buffalo and shoot up a grocery store, just the random chance of where the roulette-like wheel spin in her head fell that morning. Kylie Posey decided to kill herself. Posey's mom, Marcy, who had subjected the child to abuse by parading her around on television like a prostitute on this television program, Toddlers and Tiaras, for which people should have been arrested. Doors should have been kicked in. Computers should have been confiscated. People should have been arrested for doing this to children. Uh, Mom said uh, in a Facebook post, her daughter kills herself and mom makes a Facebook post. That alone, to me, is shocking. I, I can't even comprehend. Anyway, what did mom say in her Facebook post? I don't have words or any thoughts. A beautiful baby girl is gone. Please give us privacy. First of all, Mom, you're on Facebook. You can't say, I don't have words. I don't have thoughts. Because if you did, you would have some respect for yourself and your family, and you wouldn't be on Facebook posting about how you want privacy. Do you see the disconnect, Mom? It's the same thing. It's the same thing, Mom, as after after, uh, parading your innocent child like a pornographic show horse on TV and ruining her life with your selfish divorce and all of that, now you want privacy. Now that it's all come back around and hit you in the face like a shotgun blast, 
all the horrible things you've done and the horrible person that you are and the evil that you've promoted and the abuse that you inflicted on your child and your whole family, now you want privacy. You know, for the first time in her life, it's possible that mom here is experiencing shame. Maybe for the first time in her life. As she looks over the dead body of her child on the floor, she's experiencing something approaching shame, which could possibly be a positive for uh, mom, Marcy. Marcy Posey Gatterman. Yeah, that's she has two last names now because of all the abuse and the horrible person that she is and the awful things that she's done. But, uh, uh, well, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and the, the beginning of the fear of God is some sense of shame, and so we'll hope that that's what reaches through to mom. Uh, from there, we go to reason number 1,961 to get or keep your children out of the government school. We have a mom who is fuming, just absolutely fuming, about the fact that her 12-year-old daughter was invited by a teacher to an arts club that turned out to be a gender and identity group. Gender and identity. Gender and identity. A new nomenclature there. For all of you parents, keep your eyes out for the gender and identity group. It's not an arts club. This occurred in Wellington, Colorado at a middle school. Wellington, by the way, is way out there in the country. It's deep red with Let's Go Brandon flags flying. And moms and dads feeding their children like coal into a furnace at the public, at the public school. That's what it's like. That's Wellington, Colorado, small town, conservative, red, let's go Brandon country, MAGA country. Mom is outraged that her daughter was invited to this gender and identity group. She was told it was an arts club where a speaker at the school told the children they may be transgender if they're not comfortable in their bodies, whatever that means. That's designed to elicit a question from the kid saying, well, what does that mean? Well, that must mean you're not comfortable. That means you're transgendered. Didn't you know? Uh, the perverts and creeps and criminally insane criminals at the gender and identity group also asked the kids who they were sexually attracted to while being shown a genderbred person doll. A genderbred person. That's like a gingerbread man, but different. Uh, the genderbred man diagram. I'm sorry, did I say genderbred man? I meant genderbred person. Sorry. The genderbred person diagram has been criticized by some academics. Not all, just some. The ones who aren't com completely criminally insane. Youngsters were asked to keep details of the meeting a secret and warned that their parents may not be safe. Oh. Yeah, this is going on in the government schools. And the thing is, is that there have been some of us shouting about this from the rooftops for over 30 years. In fact, where is my, you know, this really leads me back to Disney because I know that there are people in the audience who've been shocked with how Disney has suddenly collapsed into a pile of child-molesting perverts, right? And that's been shocking to you all. But for some of us, it hasn't been shocking at all. And maybe I'm not going to be able to find the page. Uh, oh, here it is. Here it is. So some of us have not been shocked by the collapse of Disney into a pile of child-molesting, criminally insane perverts who should all be rounded up and thrown into prison and beaten. And that's just a start. But, and so we've been shouting about the government schools. Here you've got mom. She's, she's freaked out. Uh, let, me, let me finish the story before I get to Disney. Um, let's see. Uh, the kids were asked who they were. They were shown the genderbred man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a genderbred man. No. Um, youngsters were asked, oh, yeah, to keep the details, told their parents may not be safe. District officials have, since this story broke... Defended the lesson in public. That, yeah, district officials have actually defended this. Well, what did the mom do? She pulled her kid out of the government school. 
She says she's going to have to enroll her kid into an $8,000 a year private school. Yes, mom, that's what you're going to have to do. You're not going to be able to get the new BMW, mom. That eight grand is going to have to go to saving the life of your child. Well, how? yeah, she could do it at home for $800. But anyway, it took this particular mom six years to figure out that she needed to save the life of her child who was going to be molested, raped, and killed. I know, that seems extreme. That I would say that if you send your child to the government schools, they'll be molested, raped, and killed. But I'm not exaggerating. In the big picture of history, when we all get to the beyond and we're able to look back... You're going to see that that was not hyperbole. Your child will be at the very least molested, at the very worst killed. They'll be raped, uh, molested, raped, and killed if you don't get them out of the government schools. So it took this mom six years, but hat tip to mom. Hat tip to mom. Thank you. Yes, that's what it takes. It's not standing up against the establishment. It's not trying to fight at the school board meeting. No, get your kids out, make them separate and prepare them for what's coming, which is uh, serious. That's all. In fact, if I had known how serious all this was years ago, I, well, I'll just say, I wish I'd known how serious this was all those years ago. I would have prepared differently. I guess we can all say that. Uh, so before we get to Disney, we'll go to reason number 1,962. To get or keep your children out of the government schools, back to the state of Colorado, oddly enough. A Colorado parent attempted to read from a book to the school board at the school board meeting. She attempted to read from a book that has been made available to her children in the government school. As she read from the book, I'll post this video. As she reads from the book, the language becomes so pornographic and vulgar that the school board itself tells her to stop. They're like, hey, you can't say that. You can't talk that way in a, in a public meeting. This is, this is a school board meeting. You can't. You have to stop. And the mom says, but I'm reading from a book that you've made available to my child. And you're saying I can't read it out loud at the meeting here because, well, because it's so pornographic and lewd and vulgar and criminal, actually, if you hear what this mom says. This is the kind of stuff that you would have been thrown in prison 75 years ago. If you'd have tried to publish this, you could have been arrested in most cities in America. And this is a book on the shelf for the kiddos at the government school in, uh, in so, well, somewhere in the state of Colorado. Pretty much anywhere in America, by the way. Anyway, so this mom, there's no report on what she did with her kids. But we pray that she got her kids out of the government schools because that is really the only solution. Um, now, back to Disney. Those of you who've been shocked at how quickly Disney has degenerated into a criminal organization advocating for the molestation of children, publicly advocating. Just so you know, uh, about, let's see, how long ago was this? Oh, here it is. Sorry. Um... Disney has been known to promote deviant sexual perversion since at least 2010. How do I know that? Because I was on the radio with Bob Enyart when we discussed Disney's work with a convicted child molester. Disney had hired a convicted child molester to I, I forget if he was director, producer. He was on this project of a movie, a cartoon movie called Powder. In 2010, we went on the air and we decried the fact that Disney is working with a convicted child molester on a, on, on a product intended for your kids, America. This is 12 years ago. So we've known for at least that long. That Disney is a criminally insane organization that promotes the molestation and the rape of children. That's what Disney has been, and we've known it for since at least 2010. And we've been, we've been shouting about the government schools for at least that long. So for those of you who are new to the dance, welcome. If you're, if you're just jumping in the pool, there's plenty of room and it's warm. Don't be scared. Uh, we can help you. Is there? Oh, finally, uh, so there's Disney, okay? Open your eyes, people. 
Um, from the Queering of America file, we'll end with uh, Joe Biden's new press secretary. That's right. Uh, Jen Psaki is going to be employed by a criminal organization to carry on with her criminal activity. And, and the, the criminal oligarch organization that uh, seized power in 2020 is going to hire uh, uh, Karine. Karine Jean-Pierre is going to be the new press secretary. And the right-wing news media is all a, a flutter. They're all annoyed that she's in a domestic partnership with a CNN anchor Suzanne Malvo. Yeah. In fact, I've got the story down here from Breitbart. The, uh, the author at Breitbart says that this domestic partnership with a CNN anchor further illustrates the White House's incestuous relationship with the mainstream media. That's a lie. Right. So, so, so um, the, <laughs> that's right. If she was involved in a, in a, in a lesbian uh, sex pervert relationship with someone at Fox, that wouldn't be nearly as offensive. Or at least if she was involved with someone who was neutral. So even the so-called conservatives are not allowed to notice that the new press secretary is a sex pervert. You're not allowed to say that. Uh, Malvo, uh, Breitbart goes on, uh, the two have an adopted daughter, and Malvo has co-anchored CNN shows, even CNN Newsroom. It's outrageous. It's outrageous that the press secretary is in a relationship with this, with a, a CNN. Anyway... Of course, a couple of sex perverts adopting an innocent little girl is beyond reproach. You're not allowed to talk about that. But the connection to CNN simply cannot pass without severe condemnation by the so-called conservative news media in America. But the uh, molestation of the mind of an innocent child, that's off limits. Why? Because we're just not sure that that's wrong anymore. Well, I am, and everyone listening to this show should be. We're all sure. We have some moral certitude because we know who God is. But these people who are running the country and directing entertainment product toward your children and news product toward your children and mine, they don't know anymore. And someone's got to jerk them back from the edge and let them know uh, what what the truth is. And that's why we're here at the Weekly Worldview, and that's the end of the show. I want to thank my friends at Real Science Radio and, of course, my other brother, Daryl, who makes it all happen here in the Weekly Worldview studio. Should the Lord tarry, we will return next week. And until then, may the grace of God go with you, and may the peace of Jesus Christ be upon you. <laughs>